Welcome to the Talk Too Much Podcast. My name is Sina Palavan. This is the Talk Too Much Podcast episode number 38. Um, this week, Blake Jameson, uh, Tops artist and uh, Terrell Owens NFT partner, joined me. Um, Mr. Blake is one of the most renowned artists in the game. Uh, he makes sports art, but he can also make any other kinds of art. That's just what he's focusing on right now. He's worked with over 400 plus uh, professional athletes. Um, CJ Anderson's a very close friend of his. Terrell Owens is his NFT partner. He and Terrell uh, have a very beautiful mission uh, in this art game, in this NFT game. And actually, during this episode, they were actually uh, even talking about, well, Mr. Blake was, was talking about getting his business into the metaverse, the virtual world, uh, where I told him about Somnium Space. And I'm excited to see what they do there. Um, so basically, in this episode, we're going to take a look inside Terrell Owens' NFT gallery. Um, they basically built a virtual gallery, um, and they got like seven, eight artists, I believe, um, under Blake, and they all created Terrell Owens NFTs, and this gallery features features those NFTs. During this episode, you guys are going to find out why uh, Terrell wanted to start his own art gal- NFT art gallery. You're going to see what he went through to, uh, to start this. You're going to see what Blake is doing. Um, you're going to see Blake's background. I think that all artists should really, really pay attention to this episode because Mr. Blake, number one, is a really good guy, easy to talk to, but he, at the age he is, has created a successful business model for artists to follow. And we don't have to follow it, but the point of the matter is, is in his path, on his career path, he maneuvered and created a system where he's being he's able to be to reap the benefits of his work financially and scale and that's what the goal is for all all of us artists creators whatever it is is create the system that takes care of us that lets us do what we love and pays us and then scale it that's what an entrepreneur is that's what the definition of maneuvering is um with that being said guys this is the last time it's the longest you'll ever see my beard this is the last time you guys will see this beard. It's time it leaves. You know, this is three weeks past uh, overdue. So without further ado, um, I'm going to go get into this episode right now. All right, well, let's redo that. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Mr. Blake, it's very nice to meet you. I was actually very excited to, yeah, likewise. Uh, to do this interview with you. Um, Great. Making my thing full screen right now. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, very excited. I'm a, first off, let me introduce myself. My name is Sina Palavon. Uh, I'm the host of the Talk Too Much podcast. I'm currently a Solidity developer, a coder in training, mm-hmm. and I'm a digital artist as well. Um, I learned Cinema 4D, Photoshop. But I was very excited to talk to you because, number one, I grew up uh, with a very big, you know, sports were my religion, namely basketball, mm-hmm. and I love football, MMA. But I noticed that not only are you an artist, uh, you're an artist for tops, mm-hmm. but you are also Terrell Owens' NFT partner, right, in, for mm-hmm. his museum. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, as an artist, uh, I was very interested to talk to you just because your art is so heavily focused on sports, mm-hmm. which makes it 100 times doper. Uh, so let's start Thank off you. with uh, who you are, please. Can you introduce yourself to my audience mm-hmm. and how exactly your upbringing, how you got into art, if you don't mind? No problem. What is up, audience? I'm Blake, <laughs> uh, Blake Jameson, uh, full-time artist in Brooklyn, New York, originally from California, grew up in a very creative household. Uh, my parents are creative and always encouraged me to make, make things. 
Um, but I, I think like a lot of people didn't think of art as like a viable career path. And so, you know, we kind of get hung up on like the starving artist, uh, cliche. And so I didn't study art in college. I studied economics and then I got into digital marketing for almost a decade after college. And that was cool because it let me be creative in some ways. I was doing graphic design, um, you know, video editing, copywriting for my clients, uh, which is somewhat creative, but uh, ultimately on my 30th birthday, I decided that I wanted to quit that kind of corporate job and start painting full-time. So I'm 36 now, it's been six years and uh, it's been awesome. I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I have both with tops uh, working with athletes like Terrell Owens uh, and have a lot of projects kind of, you know, coming up in the pipeline. And I think that a lot of that like um, success or whatever that I've had uh, in the artist art industry is largely in part based on like me, like not going to art school and instead like learning marketing. So, you know, I've really treated it like uh, I treat myself, like I would treat a client in terms of like marketing their business. So I have a little bit more, uh, or just not, like, not more of anything, just different uh, viewpoint, right. Of how do, how I should do things and how I should like brand myself in the art industry. So like choosing to focus on professional sports and, and really making that kind of my niche was like a calculated, you know, calculated move. So I actually want to touch on some of the things you said there. Number one, it's yep. actually funny you said that because I actually graduated from college, not an art major. I was an English major. And I got into mm -hmm. digital marketing as well because I thought, you know, for me, my thought process was this pathway generates attention and whatever it leads to, it's going to help me in whatever I do next. Mm -hmm. So I actually took the exact same route as you. And what I noticed that you said is it sounds like you did you self-teach yourself? Mm hmm. So yeah, like sounds, a lot of YouTube. Yeah, uh, a lot of practice. Yeah. It sounds like that really played an impact on how good you've become, because for me as well, like going through the YouTube tutorials and have to having to self teach myself all these softwares, mm -hmm. I think took my like gave me confidence. Um, and now I wanted to touch on something you said. You said uh, you start you're 36 now and you started six years ago. Um, yep. I did some background reading on, on you. You said that there was an instance when you went to Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, that really, really uh, reignited your passion for art. And mm -hmm. I wanted to touch on that because you are a painter, right? That's mm -hmm. primarily. So what happened in, in Spain, if I may ask, and why did your uh, love for art get reignited? Sure. So when I quit my corporate job at the age of 30, I didn't quit it with the intention of saying, I'm going to quit this and I'm going to start painting full time. It was just that I, I just knew that I needed to leave that situation and it, step away from that industry because I found myself looking forward to Fridays and dreading Mondays. And that's not just, that's not the way I want to live my life. So I quit that job. Uh, and then I took this five week trip to Barcelona uh, with just a backpack. And I didn't know anybody there. I'd never been to Europe. Uh, I do speak moderate Spanish, but not very, not super well, but understandable enough. Um, and in Spain, I took a like graffiti and street art walking tour that they have like guided tours throughout the city. And they're promoted a lot at like the host the hostels and those type of things. So the hostel that I was staying at recommended this particular one that was like focused on art and, you know, street art and graffiti. So I took that tour and, you know, we walked kind of through the city and uh, the tour guide was explaining about kind of the history of graffiti in Barcelona. And uh, it's, yeah, just like it, it lured me back in. So I got back to my, uh, hostel that night after the tour the first time. And I saw that there was like an art store right across the street from the hostel. So I went across the street and bought some supplies, got some, uh, you know, some spray paint and uh, some big pads of paper that I was cutting stencils from. And then I already knew where the tour walked, you know, I knew the mat, like how it moved around the city. 
And so like, I just started going out at night and paint, like doing graffiti in places that I knew that the tour would go. And then, and then I would like, and then I would go and I'd take the tour again and I'd listen to like the guide be like, Ooh, we have a new piece here. Like, this is interesting. I've never seen, (laughs) I've never seen this artist before. So that was like, that was pretty fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I met some artists while I was there, I was there for five weeks. So it's, it's a, a healthy amount of time. And I started painting there like prettier, like within the first week of being there, I kind of did that, that the whole thing happened. So then like the rest of the trip, you know, I met a lot of other artists. They were super uh, encouraging, you know, and positive, which it's nice to have positive reinforcement when you're new to something. And so when I came back to the U S I'm like, yeah, this is, uh, this is what I'm going to do. So, uh, number one, what, so in this new age where a lot of people are on, on Photoshop, cinema 4d, all these things, what attracted you to paint? Because I have a friend that's also a painter as well, that I believe this art is much, it has, a, it stands out no matter what it's pure. So what attracted you to that style of paint? And do you paint with a spray can? I do. Um, you know, a lot of my arts influenced by street art and graffiti stuff like on that I saw on that tour. And one of the things that she explained is like, you know, when you're doing graffiti in the street, oftentimes it's illegal. And so you got to be kind of quick. And by using like a stencil that you cut out ahead of time and you can put a bunch of time into like preparing this stencil and then you take it out in the street and you put it against the wall and you spray paint it real quick. Like you can paint the whole thing very fast and then you like can run away. And so like part of it is like the practicality of using spray paint and a stencil to be like in and out very quickly. But even when I get back and started painting on canvas, um, I don't know. I just, just enjoy um, that medium. Uh, I do work in acrylic sometimes. I do some like sculpture stuff, but, or mixed media, but yeah, I mean, spray paint is the, my main, my main gem. So no, so even now do your arcs are uh, spray painted or are they with mm-hmm. a brush? Okay. With a spray no, paint. They're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're mostly, I mean, it's, it's a mix, but spray paint is used in almost every one of my works, especially my portraits. They're, so, they're all spray paint. Quick question uh, from an artist standpoint. Um, how do you uh, focus on detailing with a spray can? Is it harder to detail to detail smaller areas with a spray can as opposed to a brush? Uh, so the way that I use spray paint is with these stencils. And what a stencil is, is it's, it could be anything. It could be a piece of paper. It could be cardboard, but I like, I cut the design out of the paper. So like all of the detail work is actually done with an exacto blade, not with a paint can. Those are where I get the time, you know, all the little corners or details or whatever. I put the stencil on top. And so only the parts that I cut out are going to allow paint to go through. So the detail work is done with a exacto knife before I ever even pick up a spray can. So by the time I'm spraying, I, I don't have to like, I can't really mess up with the spray can. Like once I, if I, as long as I cut the stencil correctly, I get um, it. Yeah. Cause the, the stencil <laughs> will protect it from crossing over boundaries or stuff like that. So exactly. I was going to ask you now, I wanted to transition um, how, from how you got into art to how you got to tops. Tops is a very renowned art brand, uh, mm-hmm. sports card brand, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you happen to partner with tops and get into this industry full, you know, head on? Uh, so before tops, I was still like, my focus was athletes and I had been, you know, working individually just with athletes, uh, across mostly NFL, but some NBA and MLB and tops had seen some of the work that I'd done uh, in the space. So they filled out a form on my website, a little contact form and set up a phone call and invited me to be uh, one of the participating artists of project 2020 last year, which was the first set I done that I did with them. Um, followed that up with a solo set of a 1951 tops, uh, baseball. And now I'm working on project 70, which is more of a, it's a group set. Again, there's a bunch of artists involved and I'm one of them. 
So what do these, when you say, when you're working on, for example, that baseball collection, because I actually looked at uh, one of them, what exactly does this entail? What does Tops want out of it? And what do you do with the art? Uh, well, I've Tops ultimately wants a print file that they can use to print baseball cards, which okay. is like two and a half by three and a half inches, uh, 600 DPI. So it's like very high res. Uh, and so as long as I give them that digital file that they're going to make the card from, whatever else I do is up to me. So like the size of the paintings that I make, for example, like I'm deciding that because also I get to keep the paint, the original paintings. And so like in my house, like all down the hallway are just all of my different tops cards. Um, That's so dope. Yeah. It's awesome. So from tops, um, you started creating these, these sports paintings. I want to transition into this NFT space. When did you hear about, because all artists are, all have these questions about the NFT space. Mm-hmm. When did you personally hear the NFT space and how did you get into the NFT space? Uh, I was introduced to the NFT space about a year ago, um, probably like last May or last June. And I was actually recording a podcast interview uh, as the host. And I was interviewing uh, with my business partner, Matt. Uh, we were interviewing this guy named Micah Johnson, who has uh, played you know, in the MLB and now he's an NFT artist and he's had some very successful uh, drops and stuff. And so he, uh, you know, we were talking shop about being an artist and he really encouraged me to check it out and pursue it. And so then I started researching it and signed up for some of the sites uh, about a year ago. And then earlier in 2021, like six months ago, five months ago is really when I started focusing on it um, more. And part of that's because, you know, it was blowing up. And uh, part of it was just timing of like my work, my last year's project with Tops kind of like came to a nice end. And so I had some free time and I put that into uh, a few different NFT projects. So, uh, and I want to touch on these, on these NFT projects. Number one, how long does it take usually to work on an NFT project or in any piece of art? Oh man, it totally varies. Um, it could be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be oh, a year. Oh, really? It yep. could take you a month for a piece? Mm-hmm. So how, as a, as a young artist, because everybody has their own style, everybody th- uh, creates their own artwork. And I saw an interesting quote that you said, and I actually very much ag- agreed with it uh, on an NFT podcast. It said, if your art is not selling, or let me actually wrote it down. You need to have art that is selling if you want to sell your art as an NFT. Can you really explain that uh, to younger artists and, and what you mean by that, please? Yeah. Uh, you know, we've all seen NFTs kind of go crazy and, you know, we'll see somebody sell whatever image, whether we like it or not, could be some silly little gif or, you know, for big money. And so it's really easy to be attracted to that uh, as an artist. Like, I think it's smart to be uh, attracted to opportunities that can like help fund, you know, the, the, the craft of making art. Cause it is, it could be expensive. Uh, but I see a lot of people getting into it for the wrong reasons. And like, basically people see NFTs blowing up and then they decide they want to become an NFT artist. And then, they see like someone like myself, like successfully selling NFTs pretty regularly. And they reach out and say like, Hey, can you help me? Like, I just made this NFT. Like, how do I sell it? Or do you want to buy it? And all, almost always my first question is, well, wh- who do you, who buys your art? And unfortunately, like most of the time people are like, I've never sold art before. I lost you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Lost video. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to fix it right now. Okay. No worries. I can keep, do you want to? Okay, cool. So yeah. I mean, most of the time these guys, these people are just, uh, they're doing it because they think they can make a quick buck and they've never sold a painting. So why, why is somebody going to go spend like, you know, $4,000 or whatever on, on like a digital picture of a painting that they can't sell in real life. 
And so like, I think that's silly. Uh, they're wasting their money, you know, and gas fees. Uh, they're also like killing, like, like it's a tough market. It's hard to sell NFTs. I, I have a hard time. I have a lot harder time selling NFTs than I do physical paintings, but like, I'll still like persevere and like really? I can, I, Oh yeah, yeah. That's interesting. You have, so you yeah. sell more physical pen. That's a, that's outstanding. Oh yeah. Yeah. Way, 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 way more. It's wow. not even close. Wow. That's impressive. That's uh, well, that's, I mean, look, that's, that's like why, because NFTs are so new that oh, from yeah. a buyer, like from a buyer's perspective, it, there's actually like a lot of hurdles to like get, like if, if I had never like bought an NFT before or anything like that, and I was just trying to like buy my first one, like from you, there's a lot of steps that I have to go through, like setting up a Coinbase, linking it to my bank, waiting for bank verification, MetaMask. setting up MetaMask, yeah. le- like sending sending my uh, money from Coin, you know, whatever. So, because there's all these steps, it's like there's a lot less buyers for NFTs than there are buyers for actual art, just in general, like all the people, right? Because even most of the people that also like are like in the tech space and are buying NFTs, if they're like they could be doing it for investment purposes to try and like flip and make a quick buck. But like a lot of them just enjoy art and this is a new way for them to experience art and connect with the creators that they like. So like those people that the small section of diehard, like NFT people also collect physical art. Plus there's all these other people that only do physical art. And I hear that all the time. Like I'll talk to collectors and they'll be like, I don't understand. I want something I can touch. You know, I'd rather have a print or a painting. Uh, And that's great. You know, I can still give it to them. I'm not exclusively saying, okay, everything I do now is going to be in NFTs. It's just like, this is one of the parts of my business that uh, brings in money, just like licensing revenue with tops or just like, uh, you know, I do drop ship like printing. That's like its own, like just print, like unnumbered prints, print on demand. Um, that's a revenue stream, obviously like your selling. own prints. You can do that. I can't do it of the tops cards, but oh, yeah, okay. any, any art that I make, I do prints too. Cause I like, I want to hit all price points. Like if you come to me right now and you say, I want a painting, like on the low end, it's going to be $4,000 That's like so for, a, for, for a small painting. And like that puts a lot of people off. Like it's just like where the business is. So, you know, and of course, like there are things that I sell cheaper than that. Like if I have a painting, it's been sitting for a long time and somebody really wants it. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll let that go for cheaper. But like if somebody comes to me and say, hey, I want you to paint my dog or I want you to paint me playing football or I want you to paint whatever, oh. like, like $3,500, $4,000 is like the very smallest size that I do. And then I could go up to like easily like 10 K. And so I just like, I want to have something for everyone. And so by, I take some of my works and I make like prints. Um, and I'm lucky cause I have like a commercial grade printer now. Uh, I didn't used to, but like I can make my own prints and then sell them for like a hundred dollars. So if somebody's like, how much is a painting? And I say, it's four grand. And they say, oh, I can't afford that. I say, but don't worry. There's like, there are all these prints you could choose from and you can have something for a hundred bucks on your wall. That's like, unique that like not many other people have. Cause like, I'm, you know, it's not like, yeah. Yeah. So you, so in a way, so let's say you can create any painting you want and that's for like the real collectors. But if there's casual art fans that just want something on their wall, you have hundred dollar or lower price points for mm-hmm. them. That's, that's insanity. It's insanity. That's mm-hmm. very smart. How long did it take you to develop this business model as an artist? Because I feel like all artists, like even watching this will want to end up where, doing what you're doing, how you're doing it? Um, well, I mean, I guess it's taken me six years of doing it, you know, to kind of like, and I wouldn't even say perfect it. Like I'm always learning uh, and figuring stuff out. So because of my background in, in digital marketing, I kind of are, are in like really just generally like helping startups grow. Like I understand, I've always understood that my art is a business 
And business needs income to survive uh, if it has costs. And my art definitely has costs. And so like I knew that I needed to make a certain amount of money and I didn't really know where that was going to come from yet. And so I just started playing with different avenues, you know, and at first it was just selling paintings. And then I would experiment with prints. You know, I've done t-shirts, I've done hats, uh, iPhone cases, like, you know, I'm just exper- like, I'm experimenting, man, and trying to figure out uh, where the good avenues are. Uh, I definitely think like licensing is something that um, it's not easy to like get into, like it tops, like I just got lucky kind in a way like that they reached out to me because uh, as much as I feel like I'm deserving or like fit in the project, there's also like thousands and thousands of artists that are just as talented, right? Or, or more so. And so like, I'm lucky that they, happen to see my work instead of somebody else's. Um, but the licensing stuff is super interesting to me. Uh, I mean, prints are too. I like, uh, I, I, with the prints, even I have like two kind of different ways of doing it. I do have a commercial grade printer here that I can print them in house. My cost is a lot cheaper, but then I have to like physically like do the labor Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, versus uh, there's a, a website called Printful, P-R-I-N-T-F-U-L and Printful has been making my prints uh, for, I've been working with them for two or three years. I was like a really, really early uh, artist on their platform. And so, you know, they do a great job where they, you you know, you plug and play with like Shopify and you can put up a picture of the print. And if somebody orders it, let's just say it's a hundred bucks. Printful might charge me like 50 bucks uh, to like, you know, to do it. So like the customer pays a hundred bucks, Printful takes 50 of it and then makes and ships the painting directly to the customer. And then I just get direct deposit of 50 bucks. That's so like, worth it. Yeah. Of course. And like, and I don't have to do it. That's completely hands-off. The only work I have to do is like making the art and then putting it online and like setting up the shop. That's which would you um, do for your other paintings anyway? It is. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask you, number one, uh, I want to actually uh, touch on the NFT space really quickly before we mm-hmm. get into your business with TO. So what do you think of this NFT space? It seems like, as you said, there's a high demand in the physical and in, in, in the digital world. And we haven't really gotten that close to full adoption, if we're being honest. We're still, we'll st- we'll st- we'll st- we are still in the very early stages of cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. NFTs. So what do you think of this NFT space going forward? And do you think, um, what do you think it can go? Like, do you think it can surpass the physical art world eventually? I don't think it's competing with the physical art world. I think that it, they're all... Um... On the same it's thing. like saying, yeah, I mean, it's all the same thing. It's like, it's like, oh, if like, if art museums get big, does that mean the art galleries are going to go away? Oh, I mean, yeah. No, it just means it's more attention on art. And so that's the one thing that I really, really like about what's happening is that NFTs bring a ton of mainstream attention to artists, some of which like were pretty undiscovered and now are like very discovered. So like, look at like Beeple, you know, he's a graphic designer that like was working super hard for years and finally like gets you know he's had great timing with the nft kind of bu- uh bubble or hype or like whatever you want to call it um so i definitely think there's like i think there's a place in the world in the art world like long term for nfts i don't know what role that's going to play i don't necessarily i don't think it's just like buying the art itself uh like the, whether it's a painting or animated video or anything like that i'm more excited about kind of this long-term community that you can build around nfts because of uh what the technology uh allows so like you know if you get one of my nfts it is like it's everything's on the blockchain and it's like 
provable. Like no one can argue that it's not authentic, right? They know that's a, that's a real Blake Jameson. Um, and it's also like provably scarce because it's on the blockchain. It's transparent. Like everybody knows if there were multiple editions, that, that information is on the internet. If you know where to look, you can find a lot of information about uh, NFT, like any NFT on the internet. And so whether that means that somebody has this like rare digital image of one of my paintings, or it means they have this like token that could be access, right? So like, are you familiar with Art Basel? Yeah, like in Miami? Uh, no, uh, it's sir. Like a, okay, so it's an art festival. Uh, it happens um, in December. I think it is Art Basel. Yeah, Art Basel, December every year in Miami. And, you know, artists from all over the world come and big galleries come and they do, it's this whole, the whole, takes over the whole town. Like every building, uh, every restaurant, they're all doing art shows and, and like big collectors come from all over the world. And so like one thing I'm thinking is like, well, when I go to Art Basel uh, this, you know, in December, everybody that has my NFT will be able to have access to something. I don't know what that's going to be yet. It might be maybe like I'll do an art show and everybody that has my NFT can come two hours early and like just mingle. And it's just people that have like supported my art in that way. And then everybody can come after 5 p.m. or something. Um you know, I also do stuff where people that buy my NFTs uh, can redeem that for like mailing to being mailed like a physical uh, print, you know, or a physical version of the painting. Uh, I've had, you know, fun with that. And part of that is like, it's so new that like a lot of people don't understand it yet. And they're like, I don't get it. Like, this is something that I can't touch. Like, why is this worth anything? And then as soon as I say, well, it comes with this physical thing, then they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, so so that's you, give of- them, you give them the digital copy along with the physical copy as well. I give them, yeah, exactly. Um, and to kind of, and just to, to make that distinct from, because you could just go on my website right now and you could buy prints of a lot of different of my yeah. works with the NFTs. They're get, they're actually getting a print on aluminum. Uh, so it's like, it's just a different, like a higher end. I mean, it costs me a lot more money and it, and it like looks, I think nicer or and, different. Right. And, so the, and your, your consumers have your own painting digitally. Right. Like, just like you said, legitimacy right. there's, they actually bought it from Blake Jameson. Exactly. So I was going to say this. It sounds like to me, like with what you're you're excited about is you love the art, obviously, but you're also interested in the use cases it's going to provide as time goes on. So do you think Mm -hmm. that this NFT space is going to further itself beyond art going forward? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, I think it already is even behind the scenes that we don't know. But like, for example, ticketing, like think about like Ticketmaster or StubHub. There is absolutely no reason why why companies should be printing tickets on pieces of paper. Yeah. It just doesn't, it shouldn't exist. But wouldn't that take, take them out the equation, like Ticketmaster, if NFTs are big? Well, no, because Ticketmaster is a big company with a lot of resources. So if they're the first ones to figure out how can we turn these tickets into NFTs? Now, I do think, and this is, this is just my prediction, in the future of ticketing events, you're going to go on something, whether it's Ticketmaster or StubHub or, or whatever the next one is, and you're going to buy a ticket to an event and you're going to pay, you know, whatever is 99 bucks to go see a Drake concert or something. And you'll yeah. pay 99 bucks and you'll be getting to the end and it's, it'll say, do you want the physical ticket too? It's an extra 10 bucks. And some people, because people collect venue tickets. So like there is some coolness to like having like, oh, this is my ticket to the Rolling Stones. Like I was in the first row, yeah. you know, whatever. So like, I think that companies are going to give you the option to pay extra for a physical ticket, but the actual like tech backing the ticket is going to be an NFT. And so like, it's just, uh, 
you know, you, we, then we won't have like scalpers, right? Like hanging outside of a, um, people like hanging outside of a stadium selling tickets that like i don't know if this has ever happened to you but i actually have bought like venue tickets where i like buy tickets from a scalper and i go to get in and they're like this has already been scanned yeah this is is just a right i get so yeah i mean it's annoying but you're like (laughs) damn it so like that just that problem won't exist uh and i think like there's a lot of stuff like that in the world like little things that we might not notice that um i think are going to have like applications in the nft space uh, but yeah, ticketing is, I think, the first one that's going to change. So, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that NFTs are going to spread throughout each corner of society uh, slowly and used as a form of representation. And mm-hmm. speaking of NFTs, I, I wanted to touch on, you know, your special project with, in my opinion, you know, we could say Randy Moss or, or Jerry Rice is the best receiver ever. But I made this argument to my friend. If I truly think, and I know you know better than me. I really think Terrell Owens could be at least a wide receiver three, wide receiver two in today's NFL. Right now at 45. For sure. For sure. He's, he's, he's still, still in great looks, shape too. Yeah, he yeah. raced against yeah. Tyreek Hill. So I, I I personally will go ahead and say yeah. he Did he win? Fast. I didn't see the race. No, he barely lost. No, Tyreek Hill's uh, really fast. <laughs> Tyreek's super fast. Cheetah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, go ahead. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, working with Tio is great. Um, he, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area, so san francisco 49ers yeah, i'm a niner team. fan too yep <laughs> uh so as far as tio like what i think of tio i definitely think of niners uh, even though he was kind of before i'm 36 so it was i was alive when he was playing but i was really really young and didn't Did you really watch him live football yet i didn't really like because i didn't really like follow football that much like i wasn't allowed to play football growing up uh you know which is fine now yeah. like especially now Thank i'm like you, that's Mom. actually yeah, good you. exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> um and even at the time i'm like whatever i'll play soccer or, you know lacrosse um yeah so like i didn't really get into like watching football till like maybe like maybe like late middle school high school but even then like not like a ton just like with friends and so like by then um yeah i don't know i mean i guess I, i'd have to look at the years that to is playing but i definitely like I, I don't have any like childhood memories to be like i remember him seeing yeah do this thing like everything that i've watched of to which i have seen a ton obviously a ton of his stuff yeah. just through like highlights right because yeah. he's like a human highlight reel yeah um, but he's great. I'm very, uh, I'm pretty close with his agent. Um, and yeah, we just, I, I'd done some work with, with the agency, you know, some of the other clients in the past. And when NFTs came out, like I went to max and said, Hey, uh, you know, these NFTs are going to be cool. Like if you have any players that would be a good fit, like it'd be really fun to do something together. And so he proposed a few different players and it's actually funny cause he works, uh, with Tyreek too. And so like, I was like, no, let's do to yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, and also like we had, you know, I had a good phone call, like a zoom call with Tio before we really started of like, just seeing if we're kind of on the same page. And it seemed like he was a lot more open-minded to like actually learning about the space and participating versus a lot of the athletes that we see that are more, uh, you know, in and out they're there, they want to get paid and then they're, they're going to that's actually what I, I was going to ask you about, because uh, that's interesting you say that, because just like you said, most you see a lot of NFT drops from celebrities. But if you really look at it, there are a lot of just like cash grab pro- uh, projects. And when I looked at T.O.'s art gallery, that there was a lot of from the website, from everything, there was a lot of thought put into it. So Thank how you. number one, how was that Zoom call with T.O.? Like, how was it talking to a professional athlete like at that close of a level? And number two, can we go into that museum afterwards? Like, how was that built and what's the concepts behind it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, talking with you, you know, that call was great. They're all, I, I talked to 
him pretty often still because this is like an ongoing project and so like we're just on a text chain with me and him and his manager and, and one of my business partners uh and like we're texting like daily and if we That's need crazy. to jump on a call to talk about something we do uh i think that like if i had done that like two or three years ago i think i'd be a little bit more like like uh shell-shocked or star star yeah you know or whatever like i have been working with athletes for the last three years and like met a lot of them uh, in person varying degrees of friendship you know some guys i meet one time and i give them a painting and then other guys like were very close so i don't know if you know um cj anderson uh running back for denver broncos won a super bowl yeah um he's retired now but uh he was the first athlete that i ever painted and i got to deliver that in person he's also from like somewhere right near my hometown and like we oh, immediately no. just just became friends like he's from you know he went to berkeley uh it's like, and I was like, I'm from just across the bridge um, in Marin County. And so, yeah, I mean, I think like, it's cool to like, talk to Tio. I mean, he's great. He's super smart, uh, you know, sharp, uh, busy also, you know, be on a phone call. And he's like, Oh, sorry, I got to go. Like, you know, Michael Jordan's calling me or some shit like that. <laughs> like, that's not an actual example, but like that type of thing, right? Like, Oh, got to go do X, Y, Z. Right. So, uh, you know, and that's always a trip. Uh, that's funny when that happens, but, um, yeah, he's cool, man. He's just a person like all of us, you know? So what is the, what is the goal? Cause this, I want people and actually like, let me see if I could pull this up really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, and Terrell. Oh, yeah, if you go to 81 dot gallery, if you want to see the website for the museum, Google, let's see, pull it up. Let me see if I could do a share screen. Is it share screen? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And 81 gallery? 81 dot gallery. Uh, let's see. Oh. Okay. There we go. So this is, where is this? How did you guys create this, the, the first scene right here? So this is all virtual and uh, my 3D animator is a freaking beast. And so we just, uh, we made this custom environment to show off uh, these works, eight artworks by seven different artists. We want to, are you familiar with like the metaverse? Yeah, I was all gonna, that was my next question. Yeah. So we're talking to some uh, metaverse developers. We have, um, we have a few leads. I'm not sure, like it's, it's tough because NFTs are so new that like it's hard to pick where you want to go because there's like Decentraland is one of them. Metaverse is one. I have like I'm in touch with a couple teams that are kind of building their own competitors that are new companies. Advantage to that is like more personal attention from the creators. So like I guess we haven't um I haven't like put the flag in which which metaverse we're gonna like build the museum, but the plan is to take that virtual building and then build it in the metaverse in the metaverse in the metaverse and wow. and have it so you can like run around online and like interact with people uh and, and like we could have to come in there and he could just be in there and his little avatar is like in the museum and you could like walk up and like in talk the metaverse to too you can like literally like you could talk like this of like in the, in the metaverse you know, correct correct so i wanted to touch on that really quickly is you're looking at a couple of these metaverses um mm -hmm. for me um i'm i'm I, that's my main focus of study right now as well Decentraland, in my opinion, for for you guys, seems the, it's the most popular um, mm -hmm. right now. And, and I think it's also built for creators. So you're allowed to embed your socials. It's a business oriented. But I would also right. just for you two to look look into Somnium space. 
I had their CEO on here. It's actually right now, in my opinion, it's the only VR uh, metaverse. It's the one of the four main ones. It's Sandbox, Somnium, Decentraland, and Crypto Voxels. Mm-hmm. But Somnium Space, I interviewed their CEO on here. It's completely okay. VR. And the, yeah. the builds that they're doing in, for their art galleries are absolutely insane. Also, mm-hmm. uh, the, my only problem with them was the volume, the traction, but that's starting to grow through the roof. The cube tokens, $4 now. Land mm-hmm. parcels are about 10 grand. They're the most expensive ones out, out is on Somnium because wow. of the VR integration. But here's the cool wow. thing. On my podcast, and I want you to remember, you can create your art. You can uh, transform the art in Somnium that it's not just a painting. You can go inside of it and it's a 360 view of, of you. So Somnium is creating different uh, things that you can do with your art. Just mm-hmm. a suggestion for you guys, just in case you're interested in all of them. But mm-hmm. what and you can do it with the Oculus, it looks like. Yep. It's compatible cool. with every single VR headset. Uh, the CEO yeah. told me I have, that. I have one of those. That's awesome. Oh, really? Of uh, an yeah. Oculus? Yeah. So uh, uh, that's what that's really what for me, the VR aspect. Um, I, I'm wondering why other other metaverses aren't, you know, integrating that into it. But I was going to ask you what caught your eye about the metaverse to take this in, in there in the, the Web 3.0. Oh, man. Well, it's a couple of things. Um, you know, I uh, I grew up, you know, gaming, too. I played a lot of uh, like mo- massively multiplayer online games like uh, I did Diablo. I played Diablo 2 a lot um didn't really get into uh what what is the um what's the other one that's blizzard that everybody freaking league of plays? legends uh, uh league of legends oh, what, what's what's the other one uh, oh my god i it's a uh, oh it's a big one yes oh. it's the biggest it's the it's biggest the warcraft big- warcraft right? yeah warcraft world- three or something world of warcraft world of Warcraft. oh yeah so world- like i i you know so like you think about that like i didn't because of, I guess just like my age when World of Warcraft came out, I have a lot of friends that play WoW still to this day, but I never really got into it. But just the idea of like being in that virtual world, running around, like slaying dragons with your friends, like it, but it was also like, so it was social for me too. Like I'd go and play Diablo with my friends and like, you know, all we could do is chat, but we'd be like catching up or chatting or like we would like jump on a phone call and I'd be like on the, you know, we'd be on speakerphone and we'd be playing the game together so that we could like talk and play. And so like, I just... I've seen how uh, addictive and like how cool that is. And I just think that once that transcends beyond like only nerds play world of Warcraft uh, stereotype or whatever into something of like, no, this has like practical applications. Like you can go into this video game world and like visit an art gallery or listen to a a keynote speaker at a conference or meet, uh, you know, a celebrity or a fellow artist or anything. So I, I just like, I firmly believe in it as a concept that it will be like a big part of our society, especially like the last year, like with COVID, everybody's got to stay inside. Like that at least gives you some human interactions, even though it's through like this skin of, you know, your avatar and your digital character. But that's also good because, you know, not every, sometimes you want to go online and be something totally different. You know, I could go make a VR character. That's like a, you know, but, like a rock star chick or something like that. It'd be like, this is my alter ego, you know, whatever. And like, that's fun that I can just go like be somebody else. I think there's a lot of like draw to that too. And like with COVID, you can't go outside and meet people as much as you used to be able to. And if that, I think that's going to bring more people online to metaverse experiences. So really quickly, I want to give you this. You said you have a 3D animator. Another reason for Somnium is instead of having 
uh, to look for a lot of like coders and stuff, your 3D animator can create that museum and just integrate it with Insomnium. So it'd be a lot easier. You wouldn't have to go out of house. Nice. Number two, I very much agree with everything you said. The CEO of Somnium Space uh, told me that he thinks eight to 10 years from now, uh, he, well, human society will spend about six to eight hours in VR a day. Uh, he said that's mm -hmm. a strong possibility. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted to uh, go back and what are your goals for this museum with Torello Owens? Because I, it is something that, that to me stands out from other art galleries. It looks a lot more well thought. It looks beautiful. And the fact that what really stands out for me is you guys are thinking of taking this into the metaverse where someone like me can literally go like right. very accessible and just go to the gallery and literally CTO. If this is insomnia mm -hmm. space, I would mm -hmm. feel like I would be in real life walking up to Terrell Owens mm -hmm. and talk to him. So I think that mm -hmm. right there is an experience that's, you know, insane. Like I will be in the metaverse when you guys debut this. But what yeah. are your goals for this uh, gallery going forward? Like develop it. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, my goal from the bigger picture like TO project is twofold, threefold, I guess. Uh, I wanted to do some type of NFT project on a bigger scale than selling one of my art pieces of, of art for as an NFT. Cause I did that. I've done that a bunch of times and it's, it's cool, but it doesn't have the same impact uh, as that. So like I wanted a bigger project that I could take on that would be something both that like lasts longer and like has more lasting impact. Um, it was really cool that that ended up happening with TO because I grew up, a, like I said, 49ers fan and like, I mean, he's a goat. Like he's yeah, he he's is. in the he's in every every person ever. Like everybody's top five. He's always in that conversation. He's my three. He's arguably the one. Like he could he literally could still be playing and putting up thousand yard seasons. Honestly, that's crazy. I know. I believe that. I believe that. And he probably would like that. <laughs> you know, he'd probably enjoy it. He's still a competitor. Uh, you know. So it's that. Um, also, you know, To specifically, like he's had some tough uh, challenges in the collectible market. He had a, a storage locker in Atlanta where like the billing credit card needed updated and they never called him to update it. So they just like canceled his locker and they sold all of his memorabilia. And it had like, it had like his high school Jersey, you know, his, like, he had like a signed Jersey from Joe Montana. Is that this legal? Was a big deal. This was in the news. This was a big deal. This That's was illegal. Because the, yeah. they auctioned it off for like millions, like, like over a million dollars or something, like what? a stupid amount of money. So then he came back to them. He's like, yo, like, give me my stuff or give me the money. And they're like, no, you didn't pay your bill, like two tough cookies. And so like that wouldn't happen with NFTs because everything's in your digital wallet. And, you know, you can actually, you can still lose your stuff, but in a totally different way, not like the way that it happened to him. And so he also like very recently, there was a card circulating online. It was a PSA, uh, you know, graded card. And it was his, you know, it was an autograph card of him and it would have been PSA graded. And he sees it and he, he, tweets it out and says, this is not my autograph. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know why you guys certified this, but like, this is not my autograph. And so then the kid who bought the card was like upset because he's like, well, I just paid, you know, all this money for a, a PSA, what a 10 of Terrell Owens. And now it turns out like he says the thing's not real. And so Terrell's like, yeah, like, unless like you see me signing it or like there's video of me signing it, like you shouldn't just assume something is my autograph. Like people counterfeit my shit. And so like, and again, like NFTs solves that problem. Everybody knows everything in the NFT gallery actually is from TO and anything that like has TO on it. If it's not created by Terrell Owens as an NFT, then it's probably fake. Right. So that's like another like cool thing. And so like, I just thought it was, it was a really cool opportunity to like help solve that problem for somebody that like 
obviously is like really fucking good at what they do, but like, you know, that's just, the bridge to it, art. It's like a nice bridge to art in a healthy, yeah. efficient way. Yeah. What did he's he ever- also, he's also really into art. Like we, at first, like when we pitched it, like he thought it was going to be just me doing all the art. And, and I told him like, I'm like, no, I'm going to bring in, I have an animator. I want to bring in, I have some, a, another painter and illustrator. So like I brought in a whole team and then like, even he like went out and recruited, uh, you know, somebody that he met that's an artist. He's like, yo man, get this guy in too. And so I think it's like a really cool approach of like putting the art first instead of like a lot of, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like T.O. is very vocal about being like, you know, I'm the fucking man. Like, you know, I wish there was a whole team of me's kind of thing, but, um, in the NFT space, he's been really inclusive uh, and helping like is a lot of these artists like I'm, you know, on the upper end in, in terms of like, I guess, like success or no- notoriety yeah. or something in the art game. Mm-hmm. But like there were also guys that I brought in or girls too that are they haven't got their big break yet. They haven't gotten their tops thing and they haven't done this. I just think they make cool work. And so I brought it to T.O. and I'm like, how about That's this? Dope. And He's like, hell yeah. Like T.O. has never told me no for art. Like if I bring him art, he'll be like, let's do that. But I also Trust like... You. I'm also only going to bring him stuff that I think he's going to like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to bring him shit just to see what he says. I like, you know, cause we're also, and this is actually worth noting on here. If we have artists listening, if you go to, uh, I wonder if it's linked on 81 gallery, we should link it there too. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Meet the artists. So actually if you go to get it's a totally different domain. I'll type it. I'll type in the chat and then you can, uh, here. Oh wait, here's chat. Oh, come on. Getchapopcorn.com slash apply. Right. So get your, and the reason there's two domains is because get your popcorn was kind of the pre-launch. Uh, this was the pre-launch website we made of like, what is it? Get your popcorn. G E T C H A P O P C O R N.com. Yeah. And let's see this and I'll share the screen right so, now. Got it. Great. So in the top right, if you say submit your art. So this basically we've set up and we will let artists just like submit. And so like we've gotten like, I don't know, we're probably coming up on like 100 submissions. And like my plan is probably like once a month, I'll go through every single submission and I will vet the ones that I think are are worth uh, showing to TO. And I, and I honestly, like I'm going to be very like, I want to be inclusive um so like anything anybody that looks like a serious artist like i'm gonna put i will put them in front of terrell owens and and if he says yeah let's get it in the museum then i'll circle back to the artist and i'll you know we'll make a contract of saying okay let's uh we'll put your art in the museum and like you know and then if it sells like they get paid to gets paid uh it's a win-win so we just have we have this cool like long-term vision of like building this community that doesn't necessarily like have to like sell a bunch of money worth of stuff to be like uh successful right we we obviously we want to make sales but we also want to like empower new artists like give to a little bit more control over his like brand and identity and like and and memorabilia uh and learn and that's a big so so just to touch on that that's a big reason for this is to really wanted a way to control his collectibles his memorabilia in an efficient pragmatic way wow Mm -hmm. and what i really like from that is there's this nft space is blowing up I do see a lot of like talented artists that I just look at their Twitter pages and I'm just like, they have no social equity and they have no way of networking. So Mm -hmm. they're so good, but they won't make it. So when you're hearing you do things like that is actually very, uh, really dope to see, because I feel like 
that's like the type of nft project that will further this that's the type of this space in general that's the just like you said building a community so i wanted right. to ask you this before I'm, I'm about to let you go I'm, i don't mean to take yeah, it no no worries. you're good we're good man so yeah. how i think what you just said is the biggest thing and i, I really want anybody any younger artists watching this i've harpered on this before i don't even know if that was the right word but building a community how do you suggest someone, a starting artist that loves is falling in love with the NFT crypto space? How what's the best way they can go about building a community? I think that um, and this is the same advice. It doesn't matter if it's crypto space or if it's selling art in the real world or starting out your art career. I think that um when people come online, it's like they forget all their manners. And so, you know, these new artists are hitting me up out of the complete blue that I don't know and just say, Look at my art, buy my art. Yeah, Hi, I'm an artist. Like, look, like, please give me feedback on my last piece or, or whatever. And like, of all of those, like, at least that one is kind of more, uh, a little bit more cooperative, but like, you would never go up to somebody at a party if you're or an art gallery or something and like, see somebody like, see somebody like looking at another, somebody else's art that you don't know and just go, Hey, excuse me. Hi, yeah. do you want to look at my, <laughs> do you want to look at my art instead? And do you want to buy it? Like that just doesn't happen. And so I think that like, you just have to treat the internet like you would treat a party. So if you want to go and meet people and you want to meet these collectors, don't start off with a pitch, start off with like a question or, or, or something completely outside of art of like, Hey, I really liked that article that you wrote or, you know, just something meaningful to them and like start the dialogue. Uh, that's like step one. And then step two is, are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah. Yeah. Very okay. much. Okay. So Gary V has a book called the thank you economy. Uh, where he kind of talks about this also in like jab, 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 right hook. And the idea is that like, you want to like give, 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 and then ask, right. Instead of ask, 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 give, ask, ask, ask. And so I think that balances out of whack for a lot of people. And if, you know, the way that I've built my audience is like by doing favors for people and like, and building like good faith and not in like a keeping score way where like, Hey, I did you a solid cause I introduced you to somebody. So like now you should do something for me. It's just like, Every single opportunity I have to like help somebody, and it could be something super simple, like sending them a helpful blog post about, you know, I have this like NFT starter kit for artists, uh, which by the way, I'll send you if you want to put in like the show notes or anything. Please, please, and please. And it's just please. like, you know, what I've learned of like, here are the platforms, here's how to set it up. Uh, you know, it's just, it's like if it works, if you know nothing, uh, and it might just be like sharing that with the person, but like all of those little opportunities, anytime I see something and, and it, it doesn't have to come back to me ever. I just like have built it into my DNA or whatever or to like, or into a habit of like just doing it and then moving on and, you know, do it again for somebody else. How long did it take you to build a sufficient level of community that you were like, wow, I see some traction. I see my, my work, my, my content getting exposed. Uh, well, I have like, because before I was in art, I was doing digital marketing full time and like, so like that was like building community for brands. And so, you know, I was running companies' blogs or running their Twitter or their Facebook. And so, you know, through that, like I learned a lot about building community that that way. And at the same time, like as a digital marketer, I'm like, okay, well, I want my own brand. Like it, there was a time when I wanted to be Gary Vaynerchuk. I definitely don't want that life anymore. I love the guy. Um, it's just, that's not the lifestyle that I want. That's not the life I don't want. I don't want almost any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, so like I was building community then and it's cool because I was doing it the same way. Just like if I could help people, if they had a question about why their Facebook ads were not working, I could come in and help them because that's what I did. 
And I would do that as much as I could. And so like when I pivoted and started painting full time and I tell everybody in my network, Hey, you know, now I'm not going to do marketing. I'm going to do painting. You know, everybody was like, that's great. Like we support you because like, they remember, like I've been doing favors for them. I've been helping people. I've been, you know, really like, I don't know, just try to be like a good, a good friend for them to know. Be solid, be solid. Yeah. Just be solid. And so like, so I don't know how to answer the question of how long it took me. Cause I feel like it took me the entire time I've been online, right. To build the community I have. But at the same time, like, it's also like, you're also only like one person away from the next big break. So like, if you look at tops, that was the tops saw my work. That How did that happen? A, like, did was it just random? Like you just saw a notification on your phone tops or did you, did you have a hint at something? No. So I had, um, I had done a, a free painting for a guy named Paul Rabel. He's a professional lacrosse player. How cool. And uh, yeah, he's great. I played lacrosse in college and I followed his career. So we connected on Twitter and I was just like, Hey man, good to meet you. Like I paint athletes. I, I did a bunch of football players. Like I'll paint one for you for free. And he's like, great. And so I painted it for free, sent it, shipped it to him. You know, he hung it up in his office behind uh, where he sits and does his like videos. And like, it's in his videos still like all the time. And the, one of the guys from tops, like is a big lacrosse fan and a big Paul Rabel fan. So he just saw the work and then he reached out to me. So like all these tiny little favors that I do, uh, like hundreds of them could lead to nothing. And then like one thing that I decide to do could just be like the one spark that uh, leads to, you know, the next big opportunity. So what I took from this really quickly is earlier on in the show, you said that you did, you got lucky to get the tops thing, but from what it sounds like you did not get lucky. You coordinated that subconsciously, like it wasn't directly, but it sounds sure. like you were just put, not expecting anything and putting effort in. There's a mm-hmm. saying uh, opportunity is when, or, when luck preparation. meets preparation. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like yeah. you really just embodied that because you were just kind of giving, 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 and then mm-hmm. it just came your way. And I also mm-hmm. wanted to touch on something for younger artists really quickly. Do you believe that that uh, you also you just said that you're one person away? Do you believe that that mentality is really true? Because mm-hmm. from my perspective, like I agree with that, but for me, I've always had this mentality of I just gotta that can't, that's never going to happen to me. I just got to build and build and build and build and build. Mm-hmm. Do you really believe that to be true? Well, I do believe it to be true. I know it. I mean, I know it to be true, through, Yeah. but, but that's like, that's just like a macro view of it of like, yeah, it's one person, but like, I don't know who the person is for me. I don't know who it is for you. And so in the meantime, I just build in all these little favors into my life to everybody that I possibly ever can. I, if I could do something solid for you. And I, and I know like if people listen to this and they know me, they would like literally like nobody that knows me would say like, Oh, Blake, like didn't help me when I needed it. Like if people tell me like, yo, I need help. I will help them, whatever I can do. And like, you know, we see Gary do that sometimes too on Twitter. He'll just be like, how can I help you today? And then people tweet Venmo me five bucks. And he'll be like, okay, done do this done tweet this done. Uh, you know, I'll do the same kind of thing. Uh, sometimes just in like a public forum, like Twitter, but like oftentimes it's like people in my network that I just see like, Oh shit, that's something that I could help with. And so, like, I see, oh, like, oh, I saw you were working on, you know, XYZ and having this problem. Like, here's how to fix it. Uh, it's unsolicited advice. And also, like, it's kind of like, hey, you know, just here to help if you want it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it's true, but I think that it's silly to like try to look for that person. I think you just have to like believe that they're out there and do something for everyone because most people aren't going to be able to give it back to you in like maybe an equal way, but that's okay because they might know somebody that could or, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. to uh, ask you one more question. Um, yeah. And so, I'm not in a rush, man. If you, if you have more, I, I can stick around. Okay. Per- perfect. I, I wanted to 
really uh before i was gonna ask did you watch sports growing up like a lot of it uh, were- i d- uh, I did. So I had like, you know, my dad and I had season tickets to the Oakland days uh, as a kid. And, and then I got pretty into soccer in high school. Uh, we had season tickets, to the San Jose earthquakes um, MLS team. And yeah, I mean, I played lacrosse in college. Uh, so like, I, I didn't, I, you know, I never really got into basketball. I was mm. really short. Uh, I was, and I guess I was like probably graduated high school at like five, five, five foot five. I'm six foot now, but uh I was extremely small in high school. And so like the sports that I were drawn to were sports that didn't, uh, I didn't need to be tall for. So like wrestling was my jam. Like by far I was the best. I was, if you look at like how I was competitively in a sport compared to other people, wrestling is by far, like not even close. Like I'm way better at that because I was, because I was tiny. And like, so I was then all this, I was used to like, fighting on the soccer field or, or whatever, like with these bigger kids than me. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you're going to put me in a room full of kids that weigh exactly the same as me. This is going to be fucking easy. Like I'm going to wait, wait you wrestled, but you found wrestling easy as it, cause of soccer physicality. Like you thought, re- I thought wrestling was the hardest high school sport. You didn't. So no, no, no. It's, it's definitely the hardest in terms of like your training, you know, yeah. practice three hour practices, double days, like all that shit. But like just the actual, like the game part of the sport. So like in oh. soccer, it's like most of the time I'd be defended by this dude. That's like six or 12 inches taller than me. And he's fast. Like he's faster than me. I just can't run that fast. Cause my little tiny little legs. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, then all of a sudden I go to wrestling and I'm like, everybody's my same size. And so like it, to me, that felt easy because I'm like, I'm used to fighting right against guys that are much bigger and more developed and like have already gone through puberty and like had their growth spurt. <laughs> and like, I'm there like just a shrimpy little, you know, high school kid. And, and so finally I'm like, even playing field. And so I really like leaned into that. And I actually, like I was planning to wrestle, uh, at D one at Davis and had, uh, my senior year, second day of like sectional championships. Oh. I tore my meniscus. No, I knew that and, was like, something like that was going to happen. Yeah. And like, I went the whole four years without an injury. And then I got injured on the very last day I ever wrestled. Uh, that, uh, that's, that's a sign, man. I don't even know what to do. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. I know it is crazy. It's funny though. Cause too, I got injured. I was, uh, what? Like I said, like I was, I was pretty good. So I, I was like, I don't remember what it was. I was like 28 and three, my senior year. Oh, wow. Like, like, like really like in the whole state, like I was, you know, I would go to tournaments and I'd be the first seed. And usually I would win. Like I had a couple losses, uh, you know, all you know, mostly in like the championships of a tournament. Right. I got second place instead of first, the guy that hurt me that, uh, is one of the three losses from the year. And I was wrestling him for the second time. And it was like, Win or lose, like the loser goes home, the winner moves on to the next, you know, to the next round. Did and he beat you I, the first time? Did he beat he you the first oh. Yeah, he beat me the first time. And he beat me like, you, so you wrestle, yeah. you follow wrestling? Yeah, a little bit, okay. yeah. It was like, he beat me. It was like, I was like up by one. And uh, it was like a very late, like late in the third round, like head and arm, just like shitty, like five point takedown. And then you I had just, positional like, control until the end and he switched it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I just got stuck in a thing. And so anyways, I was like really bitter about that because like my losses were very yeah, like, few and God has your number in a way. Yeah. So I like so I wrestled him again at this tournament and like that's where I ended up getting hurt. But I won the match. Oh, you did? Um, I did. But I had to drop out of the tournament because my leg swelled up to like my knee was like a fucking watermelon. Wait, you you tore it mid match and you finished it out and beat him. Yeah, that's yeah. dope. because like because the adrenaline, honestly, like when it happened, like this big pop happened and it's like it's on camera. It was like it was pretty gnarly the way it happened. But uh, 
like it popped. Like I knew something was wrong, but it didn't feel like anything. Cause I was like, it, you know, you're in the middle of a match That's and you're crazy. just like going full speed that I'm like, I don't know. And then as soon as I like win, you know, get the hand raised, I like start walking off and I start limping and I start limping and then I go sit down in the stand. You're like, Oh, my this knee is just starts, my <laughs> knee just starts swelling up. And yeah, we like, like bait. I tried to, uh, I tried to continue. I like went out for the next match and I think I went one round and then second round, like I choose bottom, I try to like get down on my hands and knees and I can't even bend my leg. And so I just tell the ref, I'm like, I can't, I can't finish this. But that's good that you beat the guy. At least that's a good way to end. Yeah. Your beat the other guy. yeah. You got your, yeah. so I was going to say this, are you going to focus for the rest of your art career on sports art? Or do you think you're ever going to transition? No, I think yeah. that, uh, I, I think I will uh, expand my horizons. I think that sports probably will remain a part of it uh, for a long time, but you know, there were a couple of reasons why I got into painting professional athletes. I mean, ultimately, again, it's like meeting that one person, right. That you do some, do a solid for. And it was, I told you about CJ Anderson. Yeah. I met his, uh, his manager, Jared Faison, uh, used to play in the NFL. Uh, now he manages players, including CJ. And I met him in Las Vegas. Like we were at an imagine dragons concert of all places. <laughs> like, you know, we've, at the fucking bar, we like both order the same drink and then we like start talking, <laughs> start chatting. And then he's like, dude, your art's sick. You should paint athletes. And I'm like, well, I'd love to, if I could, <laughs> if I like, knew it, yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, these are my clients. If you paint three of these guys for free, like I'll help you, like they'll promote them and promote to their teammates. Of course. I always do shit. Like, dude, I tell you, bro, I, I mean it, man. If people ask me for something, I'll be like, yeah, if I could do it, I'll do it. And so I painted these three things for free. Uh, he set up meetings. So I got to go meet each of those players, deliver the artwork for free. Like CJ and I have become friends. We're like, we're super, we're close. Like I volunteer at his summer camp. Uh, you know, I'm close with his wife and his kid. Like it's all, it's all love. So like, I didn't intend when I started painting to say athletes is going to be my thing. Like in a way, like it kind of found me. And then as I got deeper into it, what I realized is like, it's kind of the trifecta. There's guys that are, uh, you know, they're, they're top of their human race of the things that they can do. So like the photographs online of the athletes are just insane, right? Such good reference material. They have the disposable income to actually like buy the art and pay full price. And they're super competitive. So as soon as one guy gets a painting, the teammate wants two paintings or the teammate wants three, you know, a bigger perfect for you. Yeah, perfect. And so like, I recognize that early, like once I kind of got into that lane and I started seeing that happen and like how that affected the business, I'm like, okay, this is a perfect place to like put my flag as an artist, but it doesn't mean that I have to like stay here forever. I'm just going to dominate this until I don't, till I feel like doing something else basically. So would you say you're a competitor in a way? I'm definitely, I'm a competitive guy. Do you see, do you, think like, you t- take that into art? That's what I was going to ask. Less so, less so with art, especially now. Um, I think that uh, when I was starting out as an artist, I would look at all these other, other artists and what they're doing, whether it's, oh, I wish I could paint like that, or, oh, I wish I had that brand deal, or, oh, I wish that gallery signed me. You know, there's all this kind of wanting uh, what other people have. And, and part of that's like competitive of like, I want to be the best, best artist or whatever. But, um, I have definitely, as I've kind of like matured in like being comfortable with my own art and what I make, I'm a lot less concerned about what other people are doing. And so I'm a lot less competitive with anybody else. Um, Like I really, I do want to see everybody win. And now if I see, you know, an artist get a big brand deal, uh, like a tops or something that I wish that I had, I don't, that's not my first thought is I wish I had that and not them. It's like, damn, fuck. Yeah. That's great for them. You know? And part of that is like, again, being like confident in what I'm doing and also like you know, my business is going well, it can always go better, but like, I'm, uh, you know, 
yeah, my rent's one, paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, we don't. We know we can get the reference there. Uh, I was going to yeah. ask you, Mr. Blake, to end yeah. this. I have one more question for yeah, you. Yeah. If I were to speak to you a year from now, what would your goals be um, for this upcoming year? Where do you think you will be a year from now for my audience and see your progression? Oh, man. Good question. Um, so I, I am currently in Brooklyn, New York, and I would like to make my way back to the West Coast, California. Uh, but like, I want to keep this space. I want to I have a second space in California. And so I think uh, that is probably the most like tangible goal that people could say, Hey, if you know, you come find me in, in May, Why California, 20... Why California? that's where I'm from. This is where oh, I'm from. Okay. Yeah. My family's there. My sister and her husband, they have two kids, you know, young niece and nephew. And I really miss, you know, hanging out with them with the family. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think if, if we're going to put one tangible goal, it would be open up a second, like basically have a second house and studio, uh, on the West coast so that I can be bi-coastal. And do you think that you would, uh, would that help your business out too, in the sense of like, you could work from both, would it be more efficient to work from both places as well for your, for business? Yeah. So like now, I mean, I actually like at my parents' house in California, like I have a full functioning studio. Um, so like I could go, like when I go home and visit them, I still can continue working. Really? I just, uh, you know, I, I've, I mean, my family's fucking awesome and it could just be that, but like, I would love to have a spot that's like, that's my spot. And that honestly, that might be Southern California. And so then I could have Southern California studio, New York studio, and then Northern California where my parents are. That's like, it's also a studio, but it's just, it's at their house. And that's yeah. how I started too. I just started painting at my parents' house. That's I how moved you, home. I moved home when I was 30 years old so that I could like live with my parents and, and just paint and not have to worry about, uh, can you, can I, can you touch on that experience really quickly? I would actually like, if, uh, what, what made you decide to do that 30? Well, the 30 is when I quit the job, like uh, quit the corporate job. Right. So I, I quit that job. Then I went to Barcelona and it was basically like when I came back from Barcelona, uh, I told my parents like painting is what I want to do. And like, they have a pretty, uh, big like it's a two acre kind of a rural like a farm kind of property uh, in northern california and so like there's a barn that has a bunch of space and so we converted that like into an art studio and so like they've just i mean they, i got lucky there too like my parents are so supportive and you know they uh like i grew up like middle class like i always felt i never felt like i had like you know um same yeah I don't know, like, like whatever, like I, I didn't get like, I didn't have all the fancy shit that, that some of the kids like Marin County is like really well off. And like people here are like, oh, you're from Marin. And they think that I'm like a rich kid, but I'm like, like my, my, the reality is like my grandparents bought that property for like $37,000 after high school. And we've just, owned, the family just owned it for like, you know, years, 60, 70 yeah. years or whatever now. And so like, that's why that's where we live. It's not like we don't have like old money, like beyond like some trust fund. And so like, I just think. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I got so lucky, man. Like my parents are just so supportive. So like, oftentimes I think it might be like a thing that might be like shameful to like move back home with your parents at 30 years old. But to me, it was like, even at the time, I'm like, this is exciting. Like I'm, I, my parents are awesome. They support me. I have space. I can paint. Uh, you know, I don't have to pay like rent, uh, for the time being. Cause I'm living with my parents. Like, yeah. you know, so yeah. it's, it was a cool situation. And I think that like, I agree like about the kind of preparation opportunity luck thing, but I do think like I recognize like I did get really lucky in a lot of spaces. So while it might have been like hard work that led to, you know, these things, you know, there's also stuff like, you know, 
having super supportive parents that are like, yep, come home, move in, set up a studio, you know, I'll do your laundry. That's like, that's wild. That's man. Big. And that, that was not, you know, like I didn't have any control over that. I just got lucky. So I kind of uh, agree with you in the sense of, yeah, 100% same story for me, except a younger, way younger age. Uh, I, I feel yeah. like uh, I'm going through the same thing, like um, job, this podcast, everything I'm doing because I'm doing is because my parents are just like mm-hmm. so supportive. And I think people don't, for me, I said this on Twitter the other day, like uh, 90% of what I do in my life is not because of me. It's it's because of my parents. So I very much mm-hmm. uh, agree with that mindset and love that mindset. Mr. Blake, uh, genuinely enjoyed this interview. I say this yeah, every likewise. week, but I actually really enjoyed this interview probably more than a ma- majority of my other ones. Um, I actually don't even know how long. I didn't even check the time <laughs> once, but yeah. I really want to say thank you for yeah. taking the time to do this. Thank you for providing value to younger artists and going into uh, Terrell Owens' experience. Mm-hmm. I think for anybody watching this, younger artists, I think it's going to blow their minds when they hear you talk about you know the business you've set up and how you've actually, the concepts behind T.O.'s piece and mm-hmm. I think everybody should be very excited for that metaverse project because I really mm-hmm. think that's that's going to be very exciting the way you described mm-hmm. it. Um, thank you so much, Mr. Blake. I promise you, uh, send me any links you want. I'll include them yeah. all in the description, my friend. Yeah. And I very much appreciate you. It actually means yeah. a lot. Yeah, man. And and also just for, for anyone listening, if if they want to like put that help help test to the test, Blake Jameson on Twitter is the best place to get a hold of me. And like, serious, if it's reasonable, you know, hit me up ask me for something and I, I will probably do it. So I encourage people to do that. And I'm going to include everybody. I'm going to include the links to Mr. Blake's, uh, all of his socials in my, uh, in my description. So look out for that. Cool. Um, I do apologize ahead of time next week. It'll air. And I post one IGTV and three reels. So I apologize for the notifications in advance. I try and market it. It's all but good. Thank good. you, my friend. I appreciate you, yeah. Mr. Blake. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Easy. Thank yeah. you.